We are, we've begun making our way through John's Gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament, the last of uh, the accounts of Jesus' life. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 35. And if you don't have a Bible, there's uh, Bibles in the pew in front of you. If you're using the red pew Bible, it's on page 886. John is giving us a record of the first week of Jesus' life. And what we saw last week was we saw when Jesus met this guy, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he knew his life had one sole purpose, and that sole purpose was to point the way to Jesus. And he didn't know who that was. He pointed the way really not to Jesus, but to the Messiah, right, this coming king who is going to rescue God's people. And then when John meets Jesus, when Jesus comes to be baptized, John realizes by the Spirit's influence that this is the one, that this is the king who has been promised to come. And so he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now this is the following day where we pick up the next episode in John's Gospel, verse, John 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, and that you is plural, so if these were Southerners, this would read, Truly, truly, I say to y'all, y'all will see heaven opened. 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your help. We need your help to see. We need your help to see what you're saying in these verses, what that means for us. We need your help for this to be more than just a speech, but for it to be a divinely appointed word used by your Spirit to transform the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. So, Lord God, we trust you. Would you do that for your glory and our good? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and see. Daddy, come look. Come check this out. Come here. Right? Those are the, one of my, my chief joys, being the, that the dad of sons, is that I often get beckoned to come and see things that they find amazing. Right? That's the, the beauty of, of small children is that their, their naivety and everything is glorious. Everything is amazing, even if it's a, a dead frog in the driveway. Come and see. Actually, I think I'm the one who told them to come and see that. Um, but right there, for, for small children, there's this joy of discovery. But it's not just small children. You still experience this. Maybe not, maybe not as often, but there's that, that moment. Maybe it's a sight that you see or something that you experience or a movie you enjoy or a book you like or a painting. And you... And you want to invite someone else to see it. You, want to, you are overjoyed at what you have found. And your first response is to say, i got to tell so-and-so. I need to bring them along and see this, to see this. And that's what's happening here in John chapter 1 as the first disciples begin to congregate around Jesus. You see there in verse 35, John, which is, in, in, that is really confusing. John here is John the Baptist, not the author of the gospel, okay? In fact, it's kind of strange. The author of the gospel never actually brings his name up in the gospel. He, he stays in the shadows. Um, we'll see him referenced, but we don't, he doesn't actually use his name. So this is John the Baptist, and this is the day after he has declared that Jesus is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, this awesome declaration that the Messiah has come, the conquering king has come, but the king will conquer by dying, that he is the suffering servant, that he's a sacrifice, that the king and the sacrifice are the same. And so this is the day after that, and he's standing there with two of his disciples, and Jesus walks by, and he's gazing at him, And he says it again. He says, look, the Lamb of God. And there are two of his disciples standing with him. Now, that word word disciple was pretty common in their day, right? What you would would do, it's it's a follower. And And really more than a follower, but somebody who wants to conform their whole life to what this person stands for and what this person is teaching. And so... This is going on in our country right now, right? As political candidates rise to the fore, what they're doing is they're gathering followers, right? And some of us, we're just kind of, we'll be followers at a distance. But there's going to be some people that we, 
we could really call disciples, right, that, that, that will be disciples of Donald Trump. And, and what they want to do is, I mean, they are all in. They have bought in and they are, they've bought the message and they are following him wherever it takes them, right? That's what a disciple does. And so these men have, been, have attached themselves to John the Baptist. They believed what John was saying. They believed he's speaking the truth. And it shows that they've listened well because as soon as John says, there he goes, there's the one, they say, all right, we're following him. They leave John. And we're going to see more about that later on, what John has to say about that. Because really, if John has done his job, if he's done his job well and if people have listened to him, right, his, his whole purpose is to point to somebody else. And so yeah, he may have gathered a following, but all John wants to do is funnel people to the coming one. And now that he's here, now that he's arrived, then technically all of John's disciples should start to follow Jesus. And so that's what these two do. They start following Jesus. They start walking behind him. And Jesus turns around and he says, what are you seeking? What do you want? And there's, there's two levels here, right? There's, this, there's the question on the face of it. Which is, pretty, which is just as plain as it can be. What do you guys want? Like, what, what can I do for you? What are you looking for? But there's more underneath that, right? That when Jesus says, what are you seeking? There's a, there's a deeper spiritual level that Jesus is going after. He knows, and he probably, well, not probably, he does. He knows more about what they need and what they're looking for than they do. And so there's a, there's a double meaning to Jesus' question when he looks at these men and says, what are you seeking? And so here's what, to kind of backtrack just a little bit, what we're going to see in this, in this whole episode is that Jesus, right, to see Jesus means to see the treasure of God, means to see and find the one who's worth following, who's worth giving everything up for. And the first question we ask is, all right, so what makes these guys leave? And they leave John to follow Jesus because, because of an invitation, right? John says, there goes the lamb. And they say, all right, let's check it out. They're curious. So they leave and they follow Jesus. And he says, what are you seeking? What do you want? And they said, teacher, where are you staying? Where, we want to spend more time with you. We want to get to know you. So where are you staying? Where are you going that we can be with you? And Jesus, again, probably some double meaning there, says, come and you'll see. Come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. So these two guys, they go and they stay for a few hours with Jesus. And I find it really interesting that it says, right, it was about, it was about 4 p.m. Why in the world would they include, would John include that detail? We know that one of these guys is Andrew. Who's this other guy? And the fact that we have, now this is somewhat speculative, the fact that we have this eyewitness detail that it was about 4 p.m. means that these men never forgot that day. That indelibly marked on their memories is the day when they met Jesus. In fact, down to the very hour. They are so enamored with the one that they have seen that they cannot forget it. And so looking back on that day, whether it's John in the shadows or Andrew who gets a name, looking back on that day with fondness probably, they say it was about 4 p.m. It was about 4 p.m. we went with Jesus. 
And you remember we, we stayed with him uh, for a few hours, and he talked to us, and he told us, and we listened to him. We learned what he was about. And what do they do? What does Andrew do? The very first thing he does, the emphasis in verse 40, 41 is on the first. The very first thing he does is he runs and he goes and finds his brother. Right? They, they meet the Messiah. They listen, they listen to him talk. And Andrew can't help himself. He says, I've got I to gotta tell Simon. I've got to find Simon and I've got to tell him that we found him. And what you have here, this is, this is a picture of real evangelism, right? We, as a church, we typically speak of evangelism in terms of sharing our faith. But notice the subtleties in that. That phrase isn't necessarily bad, but notice kind of the, the subtle change there, that when we talk about sharing our faith, we kind of give the impression that the message is about us and what we believe. But notice what what Andrew does. He runs to John and says, I mean, he runs runs to Simon and says, we found Jesus. We found the Messiah. Come and meet him. Come and see, right? Um, that, that, That Andrew is so overtaken with what he has seen the night before that he finds Simon as soon as he can. What if... What if we changed the way we thought about evangelism from sharing our faith, sharing what we believe, to introducing people to Jesus? Because that's what you see these early disciples doing. And so he runs to Simon, his own brother. He says, we have found the Messiah. We found the chosen one. And he brought him to Jesus And Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Peter. You will be called Cephas. Right? Rock. Rock of a man. And it's interesting. This episode is going to be replayed in a second. What is Jesus doing? Why does he... Why, as soon as Peter gets there, does Jesus rename him? Well, if you're going to name something, especially in the Bible, you're laying claim to it. And what Jesus is doing as soon as he meets Peter is he's renaming him. He's, and, and really what he's doing is he is, looking, he is looking into Peter's life. And he's saying, this is what you will be with me. And so we see that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. Even in this simple renaming that Jesus is claiming authority over Peter's life and he's transforming his identity. He's saying, this is who you are, this is who you will be. And so, not only, uh, not, only does, not only is Andrew convinced, but Jesus takes this step and convinces Simon Peter as well. So what makes them leave? The lamb. They're invited to see the lamb. Let's keep, let's keep going. Next comes Philip. Jesus finds him and says to him, follow me. And what does Philip do? He goes and he gets his friend Nathaniel. Right? Philip meets Jesus, and the first thing he does is he runs and he finds Nathaniel. We've got a problem with Nathaniel. Nathaniel's a skeptic. Nathaniel's a cynic. Philip says, 
we have found him about, about whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And that's, that's a longhand for saying we found the Messiah. That our whole Bible that you know, Nathaniel, you're a man of God, you know this, you know the scriptures, your whole Bible, we found the one that your whole Bible is talking about. We found him. But Nathaniel's skeptical. Because then Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth, this little small town, this little place where half-breeds live. No true Jews could live in such a place like Nazareth, this little out-of-the-way backwater, this little Clanton. What good could come out of Nazareth? And what does Philip say? Come and see. He doesn't go into in-depth reasoning with him. He doesn't try to say, well, you're probably being a little harsh about Nazareth. I mean, you know, he doesn't. He just says, come and see. Right? What Philip does is he trusts the unbelief of Nathaniel to Jesus. And basically says, fair enough. Come and see for yourself. Again, what if... What if, we, what if we treated it like that? What if we treated our relationship to Jesus, for those of you who are Christians, what if that's how you talked? What if that's how we talked? If we said, there, there's a place, of course, for apologetics. There's a place for answering questions and giving a defense. And so I'm not, I'm not laying that aside. But what I, don't want, what I don't want us to do is to forget the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And what we want to accomplish, the person we want people to meet is Jesus. And if you're a skeptic, and if you're a cynic, if you don't, if you would say that you are not a Christian, my question would be why? And maybe you would say, you know what? The church is full of liars. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of of people who don't even know what they're talking about. And I would say, you're right. But I'm not inviting you to come and meet the church. I'm inviting you to come and meet Jesus. The church has issues. I've, I've got issues, right? But I didn't say come and see Kevin. I said, come and see Jesus. The answer to both the cynic and the believer is Jesus. He's the object of faith, not, not the pastor, not the church. The church is important. Jesus died for her. She is the redeemed people of God. And your, your Christian life matters, right? Your holiness matters because that's what Jesus died to work in you. But neither one of those things are what we invite people to see. My invitation is not, come and see how put together my life is. My invitation is, come and see Jesus. I could say, come and see how great my church is, because I think that's true. But the reason I can say that is because when I say, come and visit this church, I think it is because they will see people here who will point them to Jesus. So, 
Philip says, come and see. What makes them stay? They're convinced. They've been invited to see the Lamb, and they stay because they believe he's the Messiah. Nathaniel is walking up to Jesus, and before he can get a word out of his mouth, Jesus says, Now here's an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Here's a guy who knows how to tell the truth. Here's a guy who tells it like it is. Here's a man who knows God, right? A true Israelite, a man who knows God, and out of that true knowledge worships the Lord. And he pegs Nathaniel. Nathaniel stops short. Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And I imagine, maybe with a smirk on his face, right? Jesus says, Before even Philip came to get you, I saw you sitting under the tree. How do I know you? Nathaniel, I know you better than you know yourself. I know you inside, and I know you outside, just like I know Peter. And just like I know that Peter will be the rock, so Nathaniel, I know who you are, and I know where you are going, and I know what I will do. And so Jesus shows himself to be the Lord of life. And that's all it takes for Nathaniel. Nathaniel exclaims, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, right? What he, what he knew about the Messiah, Nathaniel attaches to Jesus. Except that Nathaniel doesn't know where this train is heading. In fact, none of these men do. They're convinced they found the Messiah, and as far as they know, they're right. But what they believe the Messiah is going to do, they have not yet seen. And so Jesus says, well, you saw that. You saw me tell you that I knew where you were sitting, and that's what's made you believe? You ain't seen nothing yet. You will see greater things than this. So they leave because of the Lamb, and they stay because they're convinced he's the Messiah, So what will they see? Because right now their knowledge is limited, right? They were here, and they've taken it a step further. They were here, and they were curious. They've taken it a step further, and now they're convinced, but they have yet to chase this rabbit hole all the way down to the bottom. Where is this? They've, They've gotten on the train, but where is it going? Jesus tells them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. Notice how this whole episode has been about seeing. And there's a double meaning to that. It's one thing to see as eyes see. But then there's a deeper sight, the sight of faith. And that's where Jesus is taking them. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, that sounds really obscure to most of us. We have no idea what Jesus is talking about. It's kind of confusing. But he's talking about a man named Jacob back in Genesis. And Jacob's Jacob's grandfather was a man named Abraham. And you may have heard of Abraham. Abraham, God came to Abraham and promised him that he would be with him and that he would bless him and that he would bless the world through him. And that same blessing went to Abraham's son, Isaac. 
And then we get to Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's a rascal. Jacob's a deceiver. And he, even though he's the one, his, God tells his mother ahead of time, this is the one who receives the promise, Jacob still feels like he has to steal that promise from Esau. And he does. And Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. He's lost his family. He's lost his land. He's on the run. He's trying to escape so he doesn't lose his life. And he goes to sleep, and he has a vision. And God comes to him, and he says, I am with you. God gives Jacob this vision to say, you're still my guy. You may be a rascal, but you're still my guy. I am with you, and you will receive the blessing that I gave to Abraham. And then he gives him this really strange vision. He shows him a stairway to heaven. Right? And on that stairway are angels, messengers of God, going down and coming up the stairway. Now, it wouldn't have been uncommon in Jacob's day for him to see a temple with stairs going to the top. In fact, you can go to Egypt, you can go to Latin America, and all these places, and you can see these temples, these huge temples with stairs going to the top, because that's how you had access to God. The shocking thing about Jacob's vision is that it's not humans going up the, up the stairs to heaven, but actually it's inhabitants of heaven coming down the stairs to earth, that it's the angels who are crossing the bridge from heaven to earth, not the other way around. So then fast forward a few thousand years to Jesus, and he looks at these Israelites who would have known the story about Jacob, known God's promise, and he said, that stairway Jacob saw, that's me. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. And the longer you stay with me, you will see, you will see heaven opened and you will see heaven and earth bridged by the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? That's another Old Testament image from Daniel. Where Daniel sees this, this image, this vision of a man who is God, who is like God, Actually, sorry, he is God. He comes from heaven, and yet he has the appearance of a man. He's the son of man. God gives all the authority on earth to him. And Jesus says, that's me. If you stay with me, you're going to see so much more than, than parlor tricks about sitting under fig trees. You're going to see heaven and earth bridged by God in the flesh. You will see God's grace poured out in my Glory. So the future holds great things. You will see greater things than this. And that's the introduction to the rest of the book. Right? To see greater things. We could really, that's really how we could title this series. That from this point forward, the disciples will see amazing, wonderful, great things. And they will all center around this person, Jesus. And so let's come back to the beginning. What are you seeking? Listen to Jesus' question. What do you want? I don't know if Andrew and John and Peter and Nathaniel knew exactly what they were seeking or knew exactly what they would want. At least they don't right now. They have no idea where this train is going. But when it pulls into the station at the end, they will have seen amazing things. They will have found the one whose entire life is life to them. They will have found their greatest treasure, the one who's worth leaving everything for. What about you? 
There's a man working in a field. It's not his field. He's digging a fence. And as he jams his post hole digger into the ground, he hits something. He feels a chunk, metal on wood. And so he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he starts uncovering whatever it is he hit. And he pulls this box out of the ground, and he opens it. And there's amazing treasure inside. What's he do? What would you do? He puts the treasure back in the field. And he runs and he sells everything else that he has. Sells it all away. Sells his house. Sells his boat. Sells his car. Sells his kids. Just kidding. Right? He sells, he sells everything that he has so that he can buy that field. Because when he buys the field, what belongs to him? The treasure. Y'all, Jesus told that story about the kingdom of heaven, about himself. Have you sold everything that you have to buy the greatest treasure you can never lose? Have you seen Jesus and found life? Have you believed? Let's pray. Lord, it's hard for us to capture the excitement of those early disciples. We don't know their expectations. We don't know their exact longings. But we know what it means to long. We know what it means to wait. We know what it means to wonder. And we know what it means to be disappointed, to chase false expectations and wrong expectations. Lord, I pray that we would turn again and that we would see you, the giver of life, that we would really see you, that you would would encourage, stir up in us that, that childlike joy of discovery, that we would see Jesus and that we would be so enraptured that we would sell all the treasure in the that we'd sell our all of our belongings to own the treasure and that we would go and find others and tell them about our delight give us delight as we come to the supper now the supper that you've given us would you encourage in us that delight it's been a long road and we are hungry and we are thirsty God, I pray by the power of the Spirit that you would meet every person here at their point of need, that they would find you good, that they would find you satisfying, that you would take the bread and the cup, this meal, this covenant meal, and that you would nurture and nourish our souls. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.